With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. You're listening to the Tennis.com podcast, and here's your host, Ed McGrogan. Welcome back, everyone, to the Tennis.com podcast. I'm Ed McGrogan here today with Pete Bodo. We're going to talk uh, about, kind of take stock of where some of the big high-profile player-coach relationships are at on both tours, and uh, I wanted to bring that up primarily because of this morning's news where sort of the partnership that maybe set all these in the motion of Von Lundell and Andy Murray is no more. Um, first, you know, what are your kind of first impression thoughts on that news this morning? Because it was a little unexpected. You know, I, I didn't really see anything to suggest this might be happening. Well, I think the idea is that Andy's putting on the big boy pants now and he's not going to, you know, he doesn't need Yvonne. You know, Yvonne's presence and encouragement to the extent that he did before, you know, uh, one of the interesting facets of this, I think, is that when you get a big name like an Yvonne Lendl who's got all kinds of options and opportunities, he's not beholden to the player for a paycheck. So therefore, you can actually really let these relationships run near natural course. And that really appears to be what happened in, in this case. I mean, do you think it, it's in any, do you think it's as a result of kind of Murray hitting the ceiling of winning Wimbledon and Lendl to a degree also hitting that ceiling like what else can he do from here well I think there's a bit of that like what else can he do to change Murray I think at this point you know very honestly I think the job with Murray is wet nursing him and I don't think you know I I actually think that Murray this could be a bad move in terms of Murray is one of those guys who needs a wet nurse. You saw the way he was constantly talking to his body. He was going back to the old negative. He needs someone to talk to. We exactly. Yeah. But, but not just someone, but someone he respects. Otherwise, he's going to keep looking at his box, turning his head, you know, cursing, and then, oh, woe is me and woe is you for knowing me. But, you know, when he had Lendl, you know, was, you know he, didn't want, he didn't do that. He respected Lendl enough not to do that stuff. So to me, it's kind of interesting to see whether, Murray, you know, he certainly matured as a player. His game has been taken to, to new places by Lendl. But I don't know that, I don't know, that his, and his personality and his on-court demeanor was taken in new places too, but I don't know if this, his personality will live there as long as this game lives there. Yeah, I mean, so in your th- in your opinion, you think you think Andy Murray still definitely needs some sort of tutelage going forward, I think, to continue on his... Because I think a lot of us right now are, are, are kind of seeing Murray... We're kind of forgetting about the the gains, the huge gains he made recently, and right now he's just coming off of his back surgery and really hasn't made a, a big impression this year so far. So, yeah, but you know, this year is not that young at this point. And granted, you know, look at Nadal. Nadal comes off of his knee knee timeout and he and he hits the ground running, raring to go, and he's killing people. So, you know, I mean, I don't know. I, I'm not that big a fan of what's happening with him. I don't like the way he's looked. I don't like the way he's acted. I don't like how negative he's been. I don't like the fact that he's blown leads. That's got nothing to do. You know, there's only 
there's only so far you can go with that saying, oh, well, he's not match tough. Right. You know, and, and, and so I don't think, I actually don't think this is a good time to fire Lendl, even if it's true that the relationship more or less ran its course. I would wait till I'm, you know, talk to Yvonne and say, look, you know, stick with me. I'm, you know, when I'm playing better, you know, look, Miami, he fires him before Miami. Lendl lives in Florida. And Murray, one of his bellwether tournaments, too. You exactly. Say. And right before the clay court swing where Murray is not going to be in all likelihood you know, making his big point gains and uh, well, they set the bar low for himself in a clay court season, but uh, but right. so you know, actually, it's almost like he can't do worse than he's already doing. So why not? Yeah, um, you know, an, a coaching pairing that seems to be bearing fruit this year for sure is Federer and Stefan Edberg. Um, you know, with Roger looking clearly like a different, you know, I, I think a different player not only than last year, but I really think even as of January compared to now, you know, Roger certainly more and more comfortable with the racket and, you know, has gotten on a bit of a roll here um, really at, you know, at both uh, at all the tournaments he's entered. More um, than a bit. Yeah. You know, for, you know, with, with him and Stefan, I mean, is it, uh, is it a little more to you kind of, is this a little more on Roger and, you know, what he – I think the racket is such a huge story in this, at least in my opinion. What do you think of how this has played out so far? Well, Roger likes to bromance end of things, you know. I mean, that's the way he likes it. He likes to be with another guy who's like a classy guy and a great sport and, and you know, who played a classic game or whatever. I mean, that's Roger's thing a little bit. He's such so into tradition and classicism. He's such a conservative guy fundamentally. Surprise, surprise, he's Swiss. But, you know, I, I think that, that partnership, I think, has worked great. And I, I think what what Roger looks for from these guys in a funny way, I don't think he's really looking for these guys to bring something new to his game. I think what Roger does is almost this high level of role playing where basically in comes a guy like Edberg who we know had some, you know, some real different stylistic elements from Roger. Edberg had a very funny, freaky forehand. It was a lot more effective than it looked, but it was really weird looking. Roger's forehand is like a cloud, is like perfect picture book. That's what you'd find in a dictionary for forehand. So, you know, I, I think Roger brings his people in and then with Edberg it was a volley and it was, you know, playing that aggressive game. And I think he kind of says to himself, well, what can I soak up from this guy and absorb into my game without changing my game? See, I don't think everybody sort of expects that these guys are going to come in and make these guys, you know, that... Radical sweeping changes. Exactly. They're going to start They're going to start hitting the backhand. They're going to hit that heavily sliced backhand like Edberg used to hit, where they're going to do this or that. Well, that's baloney. You know, what they're going to do is they're going to take this guy's knowledge, see if they can absorb it and modify it within a context of their own game. And I think Rogers does a very, very good job at that. Okay, along those lines, what would you say about how things have developed with Boris Becker and Novak Djokovic? The, you know, the kind of the... the 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 noise you're hearing lately is that Djokovic, you know, he won his last turn without Becker in his corner there. Now I'll get to kind of this overrated aspect of this in just not a just wait a second though, not just without Becker, but with Vita back in his corner. Exactly, yeah. So how do you think it's been for Djokovic, not only perhaps on the court but off the court, dealing with you know the kind of rampant questioning that comes with this hire. I think for Djokovic, it's, it's been a very mixed blessing. Look, I think for Djokovic, there's a very narrow thing he's looking for out of this relationship. You know, I think I think he, he, he's hoping that somehow, and this goes back to what I was saying about Roger and Stefan, I think somehow he's thinking he can absorb by osmosis, you know, Becker's, you know, 
willingness and ability to put himself on the line at big points. So it was kind of been all about that. And look, Boris is a big personality. He likes the publicity. He likes the fame. So, I, you know, I wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't even be surprised if he's not getting paid. You know, they said, hey, listen, let me travel around with you for a while. Let's, let's see what we can make happen. You know, he's, he's, he can do that. You know, and, and Djokovic, I think, might, might enjoy having that aspect of Becker at his disposal. He's not, you know, he's not the guy who's, you know, barking orders at him in practice. So I think that's a very limited, I, that seems to me the most limited partnership among now, them all. You know, when you say that about limited, and I guess I think about what Djokovic was saying when this hire was first made, that Boris was brought in essentially to get him over that final hump of those critical areas of matches that he was largely unable to overcome last year. You know, those just critical points that denied him perhaps a couple more Grand Slam titles already. And so when you when I think of it that way, I think of, you know, it's almost easy to criticize um, Djokovic and Becker at this point because, you know, the what Beck, what Boris is supposed to bring there hasn't really materialized yet is those pivotal points. You think of the back to the Vavrinka match at the Australian Open, kind of, you know, how that really when it got away from Novak within just a couple of those big points there. So I think I think there is a uh, – I think that's perhaps the reason we're hearing a lot of that drumbeat and also just because Novak's a huge personality on his own there. Well, look, the weird thing about that is that how many chances is Becker going to have to do what Novak wanted him to do? Yeah. You know, two in the tournament, three. You know, and very, last year, yeah, make, make the overhead at the net instead of hitting the net. You know, that's you know that's what Becker sort of is there for. So I, I see. I don't even really see that as a as a coaching relationship. I mean, I, you know, I, I mean, I don't know. I haven't watched him practice. I don't know to what degree Becker has given him feedback on the way he's addressing the ball and stuff like that. But I, I gotta believe he's he's there as a guy who's in his corner. Here, here, I've got a guy who's been a great fighter. He, we want to talk to him about certain situations. I'm going to pick his brain. I'm going to see if I can absorb his you know his, his approach to these big points and maybe get over the hump with that. Now, do you, overall, I mean, all of these coaches we mentioned this for Edberg, Lendl, Becker, you know, not none of them are with this, these players throughout all their tournaments. It, but wait, before we do that, though, we are remiss in one sense. So we got to throw Goran, Goran Ivanovic in there. Yes, we can. What's what, I was going to get to him, but let's bring the bag. Now that one perhaps has worked even the best of all, even Isovich and Chilich. Chilich is kind of he is. Pretty much reversed the clock back to two, three years ago when he was, you know, a credible threat to pretty much everybody. He's been a puzzling guy. I mean, I, I think you could you could really have spent a lot of time over the past couple of years wondering why Chilich hasn't become the player he appears to have the talent to be. And you know, he's a big guy. He's kind of an introspective guy. He's not an aggressive guy. He's kind of a fairly laid back, almost a passive personality, very thoughtful, very you know, I mean everybody loves him. He's the nicest guy on earth. And that's a little bit his problem. He's a too nice a guy. And now he's got Ivanovich who's Ivanovich, who's kind of a loose cannon, who's kind of a nutty guy, he's a very aggressive guy. And that has really paid off that you can see the payoff on a court. Unlike these other relationships, look, you can't show me a payoff in a Federer-Edberg relationship on a court. You just can't. Uh, you know, split step up at the net. You know, there are maybe little things you see, gee, I don't recall Roger playing it that way. But, you know, it's not about that. With these other guys, it's not about that. Not about that anymore, even it wasn't with Lendl and Murray at, the, at this point. But with Ivanovic and Chilich, it's still about that, and he's a work in progress the way Murray goes when Lendl took him on. Yeah, and there are you know noticeable gains too because I think you know how far Chilich, relatively speaking, it fell compared to everybody else. And I, and you make a good point. It seems like those two are more of an opposite to track type of deal, whereas the other three are kind of 
heading to mentors, coaches that share a lot of their same styles, characteristics, you know, approaches to life and the game. So, um, but what I was saying earlier is all of these coaches, I'm, I'm not hundred percent, hundred percent sure. And even Isvich, they're not traveling with them to every tournament. I mean, do you think overall, this is a little overrated, this entire coaching, uh, legends coming in to coach the player, you know, is it ultimately just all going to fall on the player? And, and these guys are more just, you know, they're not involved in the day-to-day directly all the time. So why are we making such a big deal of this? Look, I think it's true. We're making a big deal. Let's, let's be honest about this. We're making a big deal out of it partly because these guys are big names. You know, so basically it's a chance for you to talk about Lendl, a chance to talk about Becker. You know, uh, I mean, look, let's face it. Roger Federer doesn't have to get the man purse or some fancy, nice little uh, blazer for Wimbledon this year. He's got the all-time accessory, Stefan Edberg. So <laughs> that becomes, you know, and I think there's an element of that. These guys, you know, it's all this celebrity backslapping. You do your thing, I do mine. And and obviously there is some impact. And if it, look, the bottom line is if it makes a player feel like he's better, if it makes a player feel like something is different, feel like he's making progress, that's all. It doesn't matter whether there's a quantifiable, the only quantifiable thing you have is the one loss column. Right. So if the guy wins more matches, it doesn't matter that you don't see the, that his, you know, his lousy backhand is still a lousy backhand or he still can't hit, he still can't hit the backhand drop shot with any, any consistency. If he's winning matches, it doesn't matter. You know, the guy is there. He's with that guy. If it works, fine. And we'd be remiss to do a coach's podcast without mentioning uh, coaches that have come and gone. You know, there's a few of them in Carolina Wozniacki's corner. The latest one, you know, this lasted just another two to three months. I think kind of the tweets and, you know, breaking news of this has pretty much been desensitized to anyone that's followed her career up to this point. Michael Mortensen was the the latest one to come and go. I mean, do you have anything more to add to this? Or is it just, I mean, it's just, it's kind of silly at this point, what we're seeing with Caroline, her father, and pretty much the rotating coach. Well, you know what they, you know what they say in the news business, you know, dog bites man is not a story. Man bites dog is a story. And this is, you know, this is the ultimate dog bites man story. And I don't know, I, I'm just wondering how these guys, you know, sign up to be your coach because look to become somebody's coach first is you know there's the reach out then there's the discussions then are you available you're not available well, what are you looking for it's the whole big negotiations then there's a tryout so you so you go through this you go through a fairly strong vetting process this big rigmarole then you sign on as coach and three weeks later you get fired because she wants her dad as a coach again i mean this is what happens with her so it you know i, I don't know look at you know, it's one of those fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me kind of situation. A little bit like, all right, she's she's gone through three or four coats. I don't even know, maybe five now, whatever it is, who have come on board, lasted a short time, been fired, and the dad is back in control. This tells you something. It tells you it's not bad coaching. <laughs> I don't care. I don't care how differently you're not, and you're not the first person to say that in in any in any light. It, it, I think everybody is kind of saying, look in the mirror at this point. Yes, exactly. Yeah. You know, look in the mirror and look. You look, make your dad look in the mirror and say, well, gee, maybe you should, maybe dad should bite the bullet, step out and say, look, Caroline, you're never going to actually invest or allow others to invest in you until I'm out of the picture. So I'm going to stay home, sit at home, watch TV and count your money. So you'll be heading, you'll be seeing a few of these names, we think, presuming they are still around in a couple of days in Miami. That's where you're headed to, uh, to cover for this for Tennis.com. I'm hoping to see Goran because he's a great quote. He's always really fun to talk to, so that would be great. 
Yeah, what uh, kind of what are you looking forward to down there? This is a tournament you're at pretty regularly, and you know, we, you know, you've written kind of a lot about where the tour kind of the tours stand at this point after the Australian Open, Indian Wells. I think I'm sensing you're looking for that to kind of continue in Miami. But any, you know, any other thoughts on what you um, are looking forward to next week? Well, Serena, of course. You know, we got to see how Serena is doing. She's, you know, it's no disaster that she did not win the Australian Open, I guess, but she did not win. She won Brisbane, I guess, at the start of the year. I believe it was Brisbane. Um, so she's got one title for the year. Venus is the one, though. You know, it's a little bit like you know, you can't forget Venus. She's lost three matches this year, and all three of them were knockdown dragouts. Two of them were six four and a third. The third was a seven six tiebreaker set to Givitova. And so basically, she's played and she's won two titles. I mean, I'm sorry, she's been in two finals and, and won one. She just won uh, Dubai. Yeah, exactly. She yeah. won Dubai. So you know, I mean, I'm really curious to see how for real this is. Now, you know, I I don't think Florida's great for her, even though it's her home tournament because of the Sjogren syndrome. You know, I think that heat and humidity could be problematic for her. But shoot, she won in Dubai, so who knows? So that's one thing I'm interested in. And obviously, those two have won almost all the you know so many of the past few years. So they're, they're very comfortable tournament regardless of form. For Absolutely. Yeah. On the men's side, it'd be interesting to see if Murray can defend. I mean, look, Murray's, I I, th- I think Murray's in trouble. You know, I think this whole thing about, you know, getting back into shape. He declared himself in shape after Acapulco. You know, he said, I won four matches. Four days in a row I played. I played long matches, played deep into the night, recovered while I was back out there. There's no question he's got enough matches. Now, he had enough matches in Australia. He said, you know, after his first two matches, I believe, he said, look, I'm surprised at how easily went, it came back. And he back. went down pretty convincingly to Roger. There. And he so went that, down was, that perhaps is more telling than maybe we thought at the time. So he doesn't defend. If he doesn't have a great tournament in Miami, he goes into Europe under a fair amount of pressure. The French Open has been a bit of a nightmare for him. So, you know, it's he's, he's, in, a tough, he's in a tough spot. Yeah, the, you know, these two Masters events, really, with the, with the points on offer there, Roth actually, you know, Despite the large lead he'll have, he lost a lot of points. Any Wells Murray could do, you know, do the very same thing here, um, and he's, you know, already not in his usual top four perch in the rankings either. So, you know, a lot of rankings uh, adjustments can come through these two tournaments here. By the way, you see how important that is too in the draw in Miami because Djokovic and Murray are in the same quarter. Right. So that means they're going to play the quarterfinal. Now, if Murray loses in the quarterfinals of Miami and, and you know, the point hits he takes on that, you know, Roger Federer is going to be ranked ahead of Murray in the blink of an eye. So, you know, it really is interesting to see how, you know, that little bit of it really pays off to be in the top four. Yep. Good. Well, we will uh, look for your reports there from Miami and uh, we'll see if any... Any more coaching adjustments, changes, gains are made in the meantime. So for Pete Bodo, I'm Ed McGrogan. Thank you for listening to Tennis.com Podcast. You've been enjoying Tennis.com's weekly podcast. Thanks for listening. For all the latest news and events, head over to Tennis.com. 